This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. The 1911 is one of the most iconic firearms in history. Designed by John Browning, the 1911 was the standard-issue sidearm of the U.S. military from 1911 to 1985. While Colt produced the original, almost every major firearm company has produced its own version. It's wildly revered for its reliability, crisp trigger, and is still a favorite for all types of shooters. Whether you're looking to buy or build a 1911 and just about everything for guns, log on to MidwayUSA.com. Welcome to the Habitat Podcast, the podcast for wildlife habitat management, hunting strategy, and land stewardship. And now, your host, Jared Van Heeves. Welcome back to the Habitat Podcast. I'm your host, Jared Van Heath, and as always, we're here to become better habitat managers. Guys, it is mid-November, the 18th. I'm launching this in a couple minutes. I'm on my way down to Illinois to do some uh, deer hunting, as you can imagine, and get this podcast out to you guys here today. I hope everybody had a good opening day where it's opened up so far. I know Indiana opened up. I know Michigan opened up. We had a blast up north at Deer Camp. Um, you'll be hearing about that on next week's episode. We got our friend Kevin, his very first deer. Um, and we just, it, it was gorgeous. It was beautiful weather. The new 70 acres, the family property, is pretty awesome. We're going to hear about that. Uh, saw some young bucks past the two-year-old day point. All good stuff to come you're going to hear about. But I just hope everybody had a good, safe opener. Gun season is kicked off in most places. It opens up tomorrow in Illinois. So we'll be getting that going. We have Kurt back on from Wisconsin. Kurt was on last week. We talked all things about the moon, lunar periods, um, when to hunt, what the moon does to hunting, how it affects it, all that good stuff. You even heard that go back. This week's pretty awesome when we get back into the habitat side of things. We're talking to Kurt about his brand new property that he calls Freedom Acres. Now, Kurt, just like the rest of us, you know, got his goal in his mind, went out and bought his own place. Now, it's pretty awesome hearing all the different things that Kurt did, and he's done a lot so far. Everything from food plot tips to switchgrass advice. He's planted a ton of trees and shrubs. So we're going to hear about all that here with Kurt today. It's a great episode, and uh, thank you guys for coming back to listen. Kurt, appreciate you coming on and doing this two-parter with us, and really enjoy talking to you, and we hope to follow along with some footage and, and whatnot with you and, and video. And, and guys, we'll end up putting this as a video podcast on YouTube as well, probably when I get back next week, so you can see the map from his property if you want to get more of a visual. Um, we recorded this via video as well, so... Thank you for everybody who's reaching out for our land plan services. We have been having an influx of potential clients that we're working with and talking to about their goals, the problems they've been having this deer season. Uh, a lot of people aren't seeing what they want to see, and they want to do something about it. So, guys, reach out. Go to habitatpodcast.com slash landplans, 
or you can see the link below in the show notes to get you right there. We can give you, you know, some directions, some help, get your price for a, a consultation this coming spring. So really appreciate those who are reaching out and want to, you know, change your odds. Can't just sit back all the time and, and expect things to change. Multiple people are, are trying to change it themselves, and we're here to help with that. So thanks for those reaching out. Now, I want to give a shout-out to anybody who has left us a great review on Apple iTunes, on Spotify, wherever you listen to this podcast. We truly appreciate that. And my wife and I are sending out 5-inch decals to anyone who leaves us a good review. There's a link below in the show notes. Click that link for me. Go there. Type something nice. Leave your name. And um, and I'll find you and send you a 5-inch Habitat podcast decal for free. Now, what that does, as I said before, that really helps rise us up in the podcast world. We want to continue to be the number one Habitat management podcast out there. We need you guys' help, and I'll send you a decal for it. So thank you so much for everybody who's done that. Now, I don't want to waste too much time. I want to get right into it with uh, Kurt coming up here soon. But first, I want to talk about the squirrel at nutplanter.com. So if you have not heard of the squirrel, it's a nut planting device that you can use in your property without using a shovel, without bending over, without breaking your back, and you literally take a plug of soil out of the ground, drop your nut through the chute, your acorn, your cypress, your chestnut, it goes into that hole that you created with your plug, and then you slide the squirrel over and pop the plug back in the ground. Stop it with your foot, good to go. You can literally do hundreds or thousands of acorns with this thing, you know, in a day, in a weekend, a couple hours, however fast you are. I'm going to be using this on the new Family 70, trying to get some oaks in there, trying to get some hybrid oaks in there, all kinds of great stuff with that. That is all at nutplanter.com. So be sure to reach out to Lowell Larson. We have a 10% podcast discount if you would like one of those. Great Christmas gift for the Habitat Managers out there. And uh, Lowell is just an awesome guy. So if you want to talk Habitat, talk trees, just give the guy a call. I mean, I urge you to. He's he's great. Again, that is the squirrel at nutplanter.com. All right, everybody. We are back. Another episode of the Habitat Podcast. Brian, what's going on, buddy? Happy sweet November, buddy. Doing well. Just uh, enjoying this time of year, trying to soak it all in before it blows by us like usual. Yeah, like October just did. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Uh, well, uh, I got to spend a couple of days down at camp with you in Ohio. I'm on my way home right now, actually um, driving down the road, recording this. So that's that's kind of a first for the podcast. Hopefully, I did some testing earlier. It sounded pretty good, uh, but... Yeah, I had a good time with you down there, bud. Too bad uh, we didn't arrow anything yet, but the month is still young. Yeah, it seemed like the uh, mature bucks are kind of rated legal shooting time there, making their moves early and late, but uh, should be breaking open anytime soon here, hopefully. Rock and roll, and I know well, you guys are going to have a fun, probably next week I'd say is going to be awesome. Um, but we have a special guest today, Kurt. Welcome to the show. I want you to pronounce your last name for me so I don't screw it up. <laughs> Kara Manitas. It's Greek. Half Greek, half awesome. Russian, but the name is Greek. Awesome. Well, hey, welcome to the podcast. I appreciate it. You guys are, are great. I've learned a lot on your podcast, so I'm uh, very happy to be here. If I can provide any value, I, th- that would be great. Well, first off, yeah, no, we love uh, that you listen. Thanks for being a loyal listener for so long and for participating in the Habitat chat and um, all that comes with that. And, and uh, you know, but first of all, congrats on the buck you shot recently, mister. That is a stud. Appreciate it. Yeah, I'm in a very high pr- – I didn't shoot that off my new Freedom Acres property. I shot it off the place we've been hunting for over 35 years. And it's uh, – I know you're in Michigan. It's highly pressured – We've been leasing 40 acres of swamp, uh, so not much you can do with what we had, plus we leased it. So heavily, heavily hunted. So when I can get a good buck like that, it's not frequent. Many years I don't even have one that I would shoot, uh, but just enjoy still to get out. So, yeah, that's not a common occurrence. Um, 
where we hunt, so I was pretty happy. It was 14 points. It was not a giant, but it was a it was a beautiful buck for where we uh, hunt for sure. And you said you said Michigan. No, I, I'm in central Wisconsin, but I'm saying it's relatable to your pressure. Oh yeah, I think okay. that you guys have in Michigan because uh, I'm not sure about Brian as far as his hunting pressure, but we just have. Uh, a lot of hunting pressure where we are, so many people can relate to that. I don't have some dream, you know, 100, 200, 500 acre place that's just uh, perfect for everything. It, it's uh, it's you got to work for it hard. Yeah, I I was gonna say I didn't think you were from Michigan, and I'm like, did I miss that detail? Because that's the heck of a buck from Michigan. But uh, yeah, 14 points. And when you texted me the other day, I was like, holy wow, that's a heck of a deer. Yeah, it was pretty exciting, and 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 the thing with that buck, they just started moving more randomly now that we've had a hot doe or two, so it's a lot tougher now. That was uh, Saturday; it was a little bit warmer, but they were still in there. Go check a scrape. You could check. You could hunt a pattern, and now I've been with hunting with my dad, and he almost got a big one that same morning, which would have been unbelievable <laughs> for archery in the same forty. That would have been crazy. But um, now they've become more random. They're chasing does, and it's, as you know, a little bit trickier than when that late October they're still, uh, to some extent, patternable, where you can kind of work, you know, downwind of a scrape and that kind of thing. So he came in 150 yards downwind of a scrape. I was about 70, but I had just enough pitch of the wind barely where I thought I was cooked, where he was coming on a straight line and then just ducked in front of me 12 yards. And fortunately uh, – maybe a six seconds uh he was expired which for me is very important yeah no kidding well well congrats again brian i'm not sure if you saw that buck yet but uh look her up and and check it out it's a it's a heck of a deer i know um and well how we normally start these as you know kurt let's hear about you know who you are where you're from what you do for a living if you'd like to go on that path and just paint us a picture of uh who we're listening to today sure um Born and raised in central Wisconsin. I actually grew up in Green Bay till I was 12, so I'd go to Packers uh, Kids Picture Day and all that kind of stuff. Not far from Lambeau Field, actually, which is uh, was kind of cool. Some of the Packers lived not far from us. I've been hunting and fishing since I could function um, and uh, moved to central Wisconsin, which is right in between Milwaukee and Green Bay. If you dead in between, Fond du Lac is the biggest uh, city in between, so I'm east central Wisconsin. Uh, Graduated from Marion College there, uh, have been in sales uh, before joining the investment advisor stockbroker uh, arena 13 years ago, uh, 23 years ago, excuse me, yeah, time, time flies. Um, and uh, so I've been doing that ever since, and that gives me some flexibility in the fall. I don't take a lot of vacations. You know, my wife and I will go on a vacation, but otherwise I save it for the fall and then I get some flexibility uh, there. And like I said, I've been hunting highly pressured swamp so i don't come from um you know where i've had this awesome place forever so uh the things that we're going to talk about i tried to get every advantage i could because uh you got a lot of other hunters they kind of shoot everything so you got to try to uh, be a little bit better than the competition um but uh a year about 15 months ago, my life dream happened. I was able to acquire what I call freedom acres. Uh, it was 82 acres total, but my core is 64. I've got an 18-acre uh, field that um, I rent uh, to. I've got a great farmer uh, that's working with me phenomenally uh, in sharing different things and helping me plant, and I'll get into that on my switchgrass uh, going forward. So that's I live in this town that I went to school in. College was a little bit of ways, but I haven't gone. I'm one of the people that stayed planted <laughs> where they've been for a long time. Some people head across the country. I pretty much stayed there. Very nice. Yeah, I, I mean, Brian and I, we can we can commiserate with you or uh, agree upon our roots without, you know, without starting with that huge chunk of property uh, in the family or anything like that. We both had to make it happen ourselves as well, and um, that's pretty cool. So. It's good to good to see you know some humble beginnings and and you're you said you're near um, Fond du Lac so are you a walleye fisherman? Yep, I I mean uh, musky fishing was my passion for about 20 years and that's where the lunar uh, uh, um, periods became huge. Joe Booker wrote about uh, hunting lunar periods back in the 80s 
And that's where I started following the moon and using that for musky fishing and then uh, deer hunting. So uh, walleyes, absolutely. I mean, like Winnebago is a big walleye lake right uh, about a half a mile from where I'm sitting right now. I'm almost right on like Winnebago in our office. So, yeah, I pretty much, walleye perch here, I don't do as much musky fishing anymore because with Freedom Acres, uh, that's, as you know, a year-round <laughs> Project, so I didn't oh, even yeah. fish much at all this year. My freezer's empty of fish, which is the first time I think in my life. No, that's that's awesome. I know what you mean. This habitat stuff is is a year round project, as as we all know. And and you mentioned Freedom Acres. Well, congratulations on that purchase. You said eighty two acres, and you said sixty four of it is corn. Is that correct? Sixty four is my core acreage. Eighteen. It was mainly egg and uh, an old sand mine that had to be reclaimed. And I probably had six to 10 acres of cover and bedding because some of the cover wasn't uh, in a spot where they would bed, uh, you know, cover five, six. So I came in totally the opposite. Um, I was watching your prior podcast of Neil and he had more woods. I had an open portrait. So the fun thing for me was I was watching everybody, every YouTube I could find with all the people drafting up plans. So I'm basically converting 25 acres of egg into habitat and could do whatever I want, which was right. like a dream. Um, so the total opposite of I got a hinge cut, I got to clear stuff up. This was like, we need, we need to get to work. Uh, so switchgrass and I'll kind of, I can kind of get into that, but I was for, formulating a plan um, and I don't know if you want me to go down that path and then we can talk, uh, about lunar, but that, that's up to you. I'm ready to rumble on freedom if you want to go there and then, uh, finish up with the lunar, but I, however you want me to go. Yeah. So yeah. I had a, a good bit of tillable on my last farm that I owned and I was converting some of that in the habitat as well. So let's, uh, take a little walk down that, what your plans are for that oh, and okay. uh, what you got going on there. Yeah, that's definitely my passion. I'll show, and this will be, I guess, for YouTube, I'll show my plan. And first, just to kind of give you a little background, basically for months, my, my buddy Brad Brockhouse put me into the YouTube channels to say, hey, you got to do this, you know, here's something to consider. He talked to me about different strategies, so I bounced things back and forth off of him. Well, then after months of dozens of hours, and I'm sure you guys have watched a lot of the same stuff I did for many different people, I formulated a plan. And then, and, and I would say this to a lot of people out there, even if you've got what you think is a great plan, I still, I was like, gosh, I should have somebody kind of give me their take and see if I'm on the right path versus I think this is, you know, I'm, I'm parallel, I'm running my, my structure parallel to the property line, so I'm not running them into the, into the highway a little ways away or into the neighbors that shoot everything. So I think I had this, my concepts real good, but... Um, I ended up calling Randy Vanderveen from Strategic Habitat, and he is reasonable. I mean, some of these people are, you know, for uh, people that ha that want to spend a lot of money, and that's totally fine. <laughs> but um, he was very reasonable, so I said, hey, uh, why don't you come over? So he drafted up a plan for me, and it was pretty much, and I don't remember how we were talking about if I was giving him my thoughts, and he drew up a plan very much in line with what I was thinking, but he had some good things to be thinking about. Add this, don't do this. Uh, um, uh, matter of fact, um, nine bark I had never heard of. So I planted some nine bark because he said the deer won't eat it, uh, but it still can be good structure. Uh, some areas that I could hinge. I didn't have many trees to hinge, but maybe to force the deer to move one way, uh, some stand locations. So it worked out great, become great, great friends with Randy. So even if you're out there thinking, I pretty much have this, I think I've got a good plan it's still a good idea to get somebody like you guys or Randy or someone else that's walked a lot of different properties and have seen things that you only have your own uh, property to go with. So I'll show you the, this is the laminated plan that he gave me and I made some tweaks, but it'll kind of give people an idea what it looks like. Trying to describe stuff on the internet is pretty difficult, but uh, in, in pictorial sense, so I'll show you if that's, Coming up on my screen here. So this is the 64 that I got the plan for. And this west 
This is west. I, I don't know if this is coming in looking like it's west, but this this is west. I'm leaving that whole area. This was all egg here, all egg here, and I'm leaving some egg down here for now. I just planted um, it was corn this year, so I planted okay. I planted uh, uh, some great brassicas and some grains in the open spots kind of around it, and um, so this is kind of going to be my refuge over here. So I had the farmer come in that was picked corn last year and I checked with all different people. What would you do? What would you do? You know, that kind of thing. And what I basically just decided to do, he, they had a no-till drill. So I had them drill these strips that I had um, ready to go out there of switchgrass. So again, I'm trying to move the deer east to west because if I run them north, they're into the shoot anything mode. If I run them south, they're into the highway. So I wanted okay. to keep the deer moving. You know, you're not going to be able to run them in, a circle, so to speak, but generally I want to keep them on my property as long as possible. Obviously, that's right, the goal, not right. to send them off somewhere else. So my switchgrass strips are sending them into where I'll be hunting on this side, but I've left this area totally go. So I've got, uh, I did plant probably 400 trees and shrubs from spruce pockets to um, some cedar. They didn't do too good, but red osier, dogwood, nine bark, uh, plum, the whole nine yards. But the cool thing is I did switchgrass drilled into picked corn with all the corn duff on there and i he, they had this giant roller so they flattened these strips for me smashed them down and then we drilled into them and they got off to a little slow start the the, the corn duff probably held it back a little but also it held the weeds back right so this is some of the best looking switchgrass i've ever seen on that end i've got some fails too but on that end which we're in that open field I let the rest of it grow up, and that's got everything you can imagine along with the stuff I planted. But those switchgrass is waist to chest high, beautiful, clean stand of Shawnee. And all the middle ones are good. The ones on the lower, on the north and the south had more of a field edge, got some shade, got more weeds in those. So those might take a couple years. But I think I've already got them bedding up against or in, in year one. So the... For anybody that's out there, I, and guess what I use for chemicals? Zip. Wow. None of my switchgrass, no simazine, no, and, and again, I watched everybody and listened, but I thought, I'm going to try this. I mean, it, it was a farm field last year. I'm going to give this a shot and see what happens. If it doesn't work, you know, you learn from it and move on. But you wouldn't believe, I, I've, I don't know if I sent uh, Jared any pictures of it, but I can send you guys some pictures. But that stand of uh, those strips are just gorgeous. I've got drone shots that Seth uh, Gady took for me, and you can just see the winding uh, green switchgrass in there. So anyway, that was very successful, but where there was some shade, I got more weeds. It'll take a little longer. Then I drilled into where they had worked the field up for my along my road where I wanted screening. I put some Chippewa in there, which is a taller uh, Canadian version of, of switchgrass. That's supposed to be heavier stock, taller switch. And that started good but I've got a bunch of cottonwoods across my lane and that started to shade it. So it, it's probably what a normal stand would look like. It's three feet tall mixed with some weeds, a little bit of foxtail. I mowed some of it. So I would say that based on what I've seen probably was pretty good. And then so, go let me, back, let me stop you there for a second. Sorry to interrupt you. No, the, no, um, the, the first set of switchgrass strips you were talking about, when was that drilled? What time of the year? Uh, May 20 ish. Okay, so you've got like several feet of growth just in the first year. Oh yeah, I mean that's impressive. I did not expect uh, seeding out and waste the chest high and thick. Okay. So yeah, I, and, and and mentioning not using chemicals, I mean that's that's a huge savings there. But uh, you know what the farmer's doing, spraying his corn the year before, he's basically putting you, you know, yep. t time and money ahead with that. So that's that's one thing we talk about with prepping stuff in the fall and. Yep. And getting things ready. So just yeah, for our listeners to be aware of that also. You bet. You bet. Um, and then uh, I did, I also did a strip of where, so he worked up the field and I would say where the, where the cornfield was left, that was by far the most successful. Then where they worked up the field and drilled in was second best where I broadcast on top of the field that was all clean and worked up. They had everything worked up and then ran it over with my truck to put the seed in the soil. <laughs> um, again, I did nothing there. I didn't do uh, any weed control. I got some 
some weeds in there. That's probably two to three feet tall in some pretty crappy soil. It was kind of on a hill, yeah. uh, but came in good. The worst results I had were where I frost seeded. I frost seeded, and it was coming in pretty good um, early. And I, you know, it's probably my fault. I didn't I didn't do the simazine because I was like, I'm just going to try it. See what it wasn't an area that I would. It was so important to have it that I was going to go to every end to make sure it was perfect. I wasn't doing that. Right. And then it got right. kind of it got weedy. I mowed some of it, and I would say it was probably my biggest bust. Um, but I put a big wall of sorghum, which I was going to do anyway, there to block my road and my, my trail entrance in and out. So it, it wasn't a huge deal. The benefit of, I got lucky, and, and this is another funny thing with people in weeds, you know, you got to kill every weed, burn it down, everything. I, I just kind of laugh at And I've gotten uh, heat from people on Facebook of, oh, you're anti-chemical or whatever. Well, I got a beautiful stand of giant ragweed, and the bucks love it, the deer love it. It oh, yeah. stands up great, and I'm not going to put switchgrass now where I've got this stand of giant ragweed because I've got about three acres, and I put a, I mowed a path through there. I passed a real nice uh, buck um, earlier in October, and he came out perfect. He came out of my um, – I got a, an island of giant sorghum in that field where I put the switchgrass because I was impatient. I wanted to have some action in year one. So I had – sorghum pods all over that are not on that plan because I didn't just want open field. I wanted to have some action in year one. So he came from that West end where I had those switchgrass strips, walked right in, came in, ate some of my fall crimson clover and tillage radish that I had just kind of scattered because where I was letting that go natural regen, wherever I saw open soil, I'm like, I'm not, there's not going to be any open soil out here. So I scattered uh, our co-op had a 65, 35 crimson clover, and uh, tillage radish mix, and then I added some brassicas to it. And in certain sure. areas, it's just gorgeous. So he's eating that stuff right by my blind, and then walked my trail right through the right through the um, giant ragweed, and then headed right off west of my pond where I've got uh, an alfalfa clover chicory and, and small burnet mix that's just tall, thick, and lush, and they're they're all in there. A lot of times at night, that's a little more open area. But yeah. um, that that ragweed, I had multiple bucks working through it, sneaking through it. And then going through the trails, um, so and I think uh, um, the one of the guys from the deer lab uh, that you've had on, the, one of the super good guys. Anyway, they talked about giant ragweed and how how great in protein it is. Oh yeah. When also it's great in cover. Yeah. I mean it's its own it's its own cover. So um, that that was a surprise. So I was like, I don't care if the switchgrass grows there. I'm going to let this ragweed stand just keep growing because it's giving me habitat and food. And it was wide open. Yeah. So the so, corn is the corn is notorious for sucking everything out of the soil. Did you put any fertilizer down after the corn crop was terminated? Okay. So um, on the plots, not yes, not where I just scattered seed. Where I scattered seed, it was just open ground. You're right. That was that shouldn't have been very good soil. But the clove, the crimson, and the radishes and stuff came in quite good. Now on my sorghum plots, absolutely, I just those up seeded them, and then I had some sunflowers in there, and then I did put some regular fertilizer and then uh, some urea later August, um, and I'll tell you, I wish I would have done more uh, yeah. sorghum. I had, that, that stuff was 14 feet tall. I got it from Kester's here uh, near us in central Wisconsin, but man, to see that island of sorghum, so I've used it for screen, but I used it for, for some bedding in year one, and I mean, yeah. it's, it's amazing. I left it kind of loose. It's a really cool looking. I've done put some pictures on Facebook. People can look look me up or hit me up if they have any questions on any of this stuff. So I just wish I would have done three or more of these islands out there. But I did rim the property in sorghum that was four to eight feet tall, and I've got bucks working those edges all. And I, oh, yeah. I'm not overhunting yeah. it, but they're working those property lines and those edges. Uh, so that gave me some action in year one that I maybe didn't have or wouldn't have had if I didn't put the sorghum up because you're going to have to wait for, I mean, the switchgrass was a surprise. I didn't think that would actually be providing much this late summer and fall. Sure. But, um, but it has. So I just wanted to make sure of that. So even if you're out there thinking of an egg conversion, use sorghum, use the hybrid stuff, put some, however you want to do it. If you want to bed them somewhere, the one thing about that is you put it wherever you want it. That's you know, true. And it's good yeah. for the soil. So yes, right, I did right. fertilize that stuff. But the funny thing, you guys were talking soybeans on, I think, your last one or two podcasts. And I bought 100 pounds of soybeans, and I was like, I'm just going to broadcast these things. 
in what I would call my natural regeneration and sure. whatever. I didn't prep the soil, nothing right on top. Unbelievable. Now I did, we got timely rain. So, I mean, you're not doing this in a drought. Um, but um, no fertilizer, nothing. I had soybeans growing up all over the place in and around all these little seedlings because I've got thousands of cottonwood box elder because at my tree line, that tree line there is cottonwoods and box elder. And I, uh, some people don't like that either. But, um, wow, do the deer like it? I mean, holy moly, are they I'm going to have a food plot all year now with uh, they're already eating it this fall. They've clipped off my my cottonwoods and the box elders and the willows. I've got some uh, sandbar willows that I let leak into the field where the farmer had them you know was planting the field. I let them come out now, and they spread, gosh, I probably got ten or fifteen yards of expansion on the sandbars, sure. and they absolutely mow those things down um, as well. So those uh, clumps of trees that you had gotten planted with the uh, pines and spruce, I think you mentioned. Yep. Are you doing any type of protection or mowing around them to get sunlight, or how are you managing that? Okay, great question. They had plenty of sunlight, and then because it was wide open, and then late in the summer, you know, the mare's tail started coming, other stuff started coming, so that could end up being somewhat of a fail. The pines still looked good when I saw them. I haven't been over there because I'm not. That's kind of off limits right now. I want to keep the deer over there if I can. Um, but I'll have to look at that and see how they did. They were doing great into August. So I bought bigger trees. I'm not young enough to be planting 12-inch trees. So I got three to four footers. And I, when we got a three-week drought in June, I was out watering. So we, we watered twice all throughout that whole place. I'm like, no way are we going through all this work and not watering. So we kept them going. And the spruce, the Norway's, overall looked great my cedar which you know i was going to wrap my cedars in um burlap to try to protect them from the deer and the weather but they i looked at them a month ago or so and they were getting a little peaked so i'll see if they just didn't i just got 25 of them because i know that people will be like you're wasting your time the deer are going to eat them all and whatever but i wanted to do it and then i would have just wrapped those because there wasn't a lot in burlap but otherwise the the red osier dogwood are doing great they were four feet when i bought them so they were they're no problem. The deer nip them off, and then they grew thicker at the base, which is what I wanted. Uh, the plum looked good. The service berry looked good. Um, but we'll see, to your point, that they, stuff did grow in, and then I'll see what I've got. But I certainly babied them uh, through August, you know, to make sure I could get them uh, watered. And I did the same thing. I ran those in that parallel design so they're, if there's an edge there, they're going to take that edge and stay on the property instead of send them, send them north or send them south. And, um, you know, we'll see how it goes. If I've got to replant or do more sorghum, if they didn't work, if I can learn from somebody else what to do better, I'll do it. But I definitely spent a little more, um, bought from a guy that's very reasonable, bare roots. I also planted an orchard of, of 38 apple trees. Uh, some uh, I, I planted quite a few chestnuts. Unfortunately, some bucks just creamed some, and I, it's my fault. I didn't uh, get them. I thought I had them protected enough, but they just trashed uh snapped one off and then I kind of put a camera in a bucket by the other one before. Anyway, um, I wanted to get quite a few chestnuts in too. And Walmart sells at Chestnut Hills, I think it is pretty sure. reasonable, yep. like 50 bucks for big ones. So I got four of those, eight of the mediums and they were doing great. I got to see what survived the rut um, and, and do a better job of wrapping those bases. And again, those I just put strategically in other areas. I'm not putting them right where I'm hunting, but I wanted to give them um, just, the diversity, you know, I, I planted so much stuff out there uh, this year for food. I think I've got I, I, probably almost everything you can think of because wherever I had bare soil, I'm like, I'm not having bare soil. I, I just, um, I'll show you one cool thing. Um, so I got to see what I'm doing here. Yeah. And for those of you who are listening and, and want to see Kurt's map, we'll, we'll share it um, on our media, but this, podcast will also have the video version on YouTube so we can see Kurt, can see his map, can see everything out here that he's talking about and try to um, help explain this. And Kurt, while you have that map up again, if you can maybe explain a little bit just the idea, you said the, the east-to-west movement, just one more time so people are grasping kind of your your plan uh, via audio. If you could. Okay, great. So I my property runs mainly east-to-west. There's a block of 50 square and then there's a piece that's 40 long, but only maybe, uh, meaning 40 acres long, 
but only probably a hundred and hundred to to seventy yards uh north to south so that's where i've got the it runs longer than it does taller so south of me i've got a highway i don't want to run my structure into the highway and then north of me i've got kind of brown as downers and just more pressure so i don't want to run them there either so what i'm doing is trying to bed them on the far west part which again was an egg field so i'm putting the switchgrass and then planting the trees to, to keep them over there i'm not hunting that so my goal was to keep them parked there. There's a field to the west of it that's mine that the farmer does. So that'll be corn, beans, wheat, maybe next year. And then park them there. It's going to take a few years, but I am I am getting some success because I put some sorghum. And then what I wanted to do is have that movement coming to the east. Well, the other good thing about that is having your deer coming east, what's your, what's your prevalent wind? <laughs> so with the west, southwest, west, northwest, south, north, uh, they're coming east so they're you know it's a fortunate setup but that's the way i designed it so the prevalent yeah, wind is, is, my 15 acres is the same exact way I, you know cover on the west and yep. dominantly west and you're, yep i do the same exact thing yep so then i'm basically designing all of the habitat east and west because again don't want them going in the road don't want them going uh to, to that neighbor in particular and then we're running them east and west and it is starting to work already and then um, I've got a pond there, which I put a, a plot in Kester's drought mix. I think I was just saying it was clover, um, small burnet, which is a winter food. It's not a highly popular uh, thing, but it's in their mix. They won a contest years ago in standability, protein, and all season. Um, uh, so there's alfalfa, clover, chicory, and the small burnet. And, boy, they just – annihilate it. I planted it last year in July when I bought it, which is obviously the worst thing you could possibly do. But I had to get something in because there's a pitch down to the pond where I was going to get washouts. And it, it did okay in year one, but absolutely exploded this year. And there's deer trails in there. I took the advice. Uh, I only did one light mowing on some of it. And I've seen the debate. You got to mow it. You got to mow your clover. You got to mow this. And then, um, and his name is escaping me. The really good guy from the, um, uh, yeah. Tennessee, you got you just mentioned him on your last podcast. The doctor, um, oh, Dr. Craig, Craig Harper, Craig Harper, yeah. So they were, and I think uh, Deer Society were saying, no, keep your tonnage. You don't need to mow this stuff. And and again, I don't care if people think I'm dumb. That's no problem. It's working because the tonnage is there, the deer are there, and they're just there's trails running through the thing. So uh, I just leave it. I mowed it once because I had some pickers, just about a third of it. But it's absolutely, and I think it's going to be green all winter because of that small burnet, and it's getting hit pretty hard. So that's become a kind of a weird, somewhat evening destination. But generally, um, my egg fields, which are about six and five acres or so, those are somewhat destination. But I've got some neighbors that have bigger fields that they can go on to at night. But I've actually found bucks. I've got cameras set all over, and this is kind of crazy, where they're, I've got them over to the west, coming across my culvert. Then they're maybe going through my field and, and going through one of my neighbors. He's like, oh, yeah, I got that buck. Then he's heading north. And then all of a sudden I've got him coming back to the east. Like, again, you're not going to run him in a circle, but it's pretty wild how if you have everything they want and they don't necessarily maybe like the neighbors or maybe they do, but they don't need to travel too far because I've got so much for them to eat now and I'm building up my cover that you can just keep them longer, you know, keep them on your property longer. And then I did a last minute, and this will be a little bit tougher on the podcast, but easier on YouTube. I did a last minute 20, 20 to 30 foot uh, disc job around this point. I've got some pine, uh, tall pines and a little bit of bedding, a little bit of bedding I have on the property. It, the soil just didn't look very good. There was nothing but weeds growing. So I disced up a, about a 270 yard food plot trail around that bedding and mainly like Randy says, get them to kill time on your property. So it's beautiful uh, wheat, rye, and oats. And I had bad luck with rye only last year. They really didn't care for it. And then I kind of learned they want something sweeter. So I've got this mix of rye, oats, and wheat. And, man, they are absolutely killing that. I did put some uh, brassicas, some tillage, and some other things in there as well. But I'm just trying to keep them on the property as long as possible. Obviously, you're not going to keep them there um, forever. But the goal was to uh, – Basically, I had an open portrait and create a plan from scratch. And if something goes wrong, 
like Brian, you were saying, maybe it was a prior podcast I was listening to, or or maybe it was Jared. You can just change it. I mean, if oh, that didn't work, okay, it's not the end of the world. Right, I don't right. I don't put too much pressure that this had to be perfect. I'm thrilled with kind of anything that goes well. <laughs> you know, not, oh, that didn't work. Okay, we'll do that. I got the surprise giant ragweed. That was a bonus. That was free. And I'm not an anti-chemical, but I didn't use two gallons of chemical. You know, I sprayed some weeds where I was doing some food plots. The weeds came up. But um, the result, I did some no-till with buckwheat on my brassica plot, which turned out phenomenal, other than I had some foxtail I had to kill. And then I went in there with my grain mix, and they just um, uh, went they're just crushing that plot because they have, I mean, I, that's also where I threw the soybeans on top of the soil to sit, you know, to yeah. see what happens. And then I got the timely rains. So I've got a plot with soybeans, crimson clover, uh, eight brassica mix, and then three grain mix built in. <laughs> so it's, and then I've got corn, standing corn. I left standing corn in that corner. So it's a pretty sweet, it's a pretty sweet setup. Um, and I'm going to do some more of that buckwheat, uh, because I don't want to have to be killing, killing, killing stuff all the time. It's probably not great for the soil. I'll, you know, sometimes you obviously have to do it, but uh, I know there's people that are like, you can't do anything without burning stuff down or whatever, but you can disc it. You know, I disc it too. And uh, some weeds like Craig Harper says are not terrible. I don't need a professional plot. And, and also I've got some um, volunteer corn that popped up. It gives a little structure. You know, as they're moving through the plot, I also did a softer edge and let some of the weeds and things come out with my crimson clover, like Dr. Deer talks about, rather than have them just plop right into an open field, you know, then there's some, whether you use switchgrass or just let some stuff grow up. Boy, I've noticed just already that in one of my plots, the bucks are working that thick, just kind of a uh, a soft edge. And then I've got clover underneath, there's stuff to eat, but they just, Rather than just plump down in an open, they're working that. And last night I had some uh, some does just didn't come out into the corn or into the whatchamajigger. They were staying in that little soft transition off the wood line. Kurt, I have a couple of questions for you as you were Please. talking about a couple of things that popped into my head here. Um, you may have mentioned it, but how, how many acres are you keeping in standard corn bean crop rotation? Uh, question one. Question two, is the farmer doing that for you, or are you doing that? And then I guess kind of my second part of the question was, what equipment are you working with these days on your Freedom Makers? Okay, great, great questions. I did um, spill, or I did go deep on a tractor. I did buy a 49-horse Kubota just to, I didn't really know what I was going to be into. My farmer is doing all of my corn and bean plantings, and we work out a split arrangement. So uh, maybe rent-free for leaving me some stuff, and then I don't have to plant the corn and beans. Um, all, of my, all of my sorghum and brassicas and all that, all with the earthway, all by hand. But I do have a disc. I do have a tractor. But seeding, fertilizing, all walking, all by hand. Um, but I think if you have a farmer and you don't have to have all the rental income, oh, boy, that's uh, <laughs> that's. That is so nice because then the chemical people come in, take care of those fields so you don't have to worry. Now, next year, I'm going to borrow them to do because they're going to have mainly soybeans, and I need some some corn. So I'm going to put some corn into some of my region areas, and they said, well, we'll disc it up for you, and then I'll have to have somebody plant it, maybe them plant it for me, but I don't think I would have the, the guys coming to spray like they would because they're planting it for uh, for money. Um, but I'll have to. But they are. They've been great. They, like I said, they planted my switchgrass. Uh, I did some by hand, but most of it. And the thing is, and I got, I got lucky. I mean, my farmer had a 20-foot um, no-till drill. But if you can find someone or do it, we got the whole farm planted in. I don't know if it was an hour and a half. And I've got you know one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine areas, ten of whether they're um, buffers or, or screening or where I'm having bedding. Um, so it, you know, everybody, it is what it is. I, I was lucky to get someone that, you know, would help me out on that. But I would say right now to your other question, I converted about 23 into, um, habitat, but I will still have 16, let's say 18, 19. It's a, it's a little bit of a guess of crops 
And then of the 64s, what are the 20, uh, 64, 40-something will be habitat. And I may, over time, do more, take more egg out. But this was a pretty good project uh, doing 20-something this year. That that took uh, every minute that I had. Um, but when you see the results, you want to do more. But, of course, I like having food there, too. Um, and I got, you know, it's interesting when you talk about regeneration and every area is different. I'm in a pretty fertile area. We do have sand. I had a sand mine. It's not sandy soil, but underneath the topsoil is a really good sand they use for roads and all kinds of stuff. But um, the the growth that I got from these trees, so the, the box elders and the cottonwoods that blew off this spring, I mean, I've got thousands of 12 to 18 inch seedlings and the deer just absolutely they're even late summer it's not like oh they'll eat those in the winter they're browsing them all throughout and then last year there were some washouts in the cornfield the prior year so i've got some cottonwoods that are waist high to even a little bit higher and it's just amazing the food and if i want you know some people would probably say well that's going to get too thick and nasty or whatever i can mow it cut it you know hinge the box elders in time or whatever but i'm going to have cover with the switch and all these little seedlings, which were free. Um, and I know some areas don't get that because I've seen open areas that are regeneration and they don't have, I mean, I've just blessed to have these trees around feeders, I guess you call them and the soil where they just grow crazy. I mean, one year box elders waist high and they're nipping all those off. So I'll be able to have little wooded clumps that I didn't plan on. I'm guessing three, four years or something like that. So that's a long answer to your question about how much do I have left um, <laughs> 20, 20 something of, of crops yet, but that's up for debate in the future. You no, know, yeah, that's that's great. I mean, I'm picturing your property and I'm, I'm thinking diversity, which is huge, which is awesome. I'm thinking lots of cover, which to me is one of the most important things in these heavily pressured states. And, you know, you, you combine that with proper sand locations, proper access, which is a lot of what we tend to, to help with on our, our plans, not just the habitat, but also the access. It seems like you're going to be the, the, uh, the, the random-looking property in the area. I'm trying to think of the word I normally use for that, having a mind blank. But um, well, yeah, you're, going it's be, designed. Right. you're going to be the, the magnet, the attraction, especially a couple of years. I can't wait to follow along and see where this is at in a couple of years in terms of your cover, your food, your switchgrass. So you get better, right? Yeah, I'm. I'm hoping to figure out how to do it. Set up a YouTube channel for Freedom Acres. I'll have to have somebody smarter than me figure help me out with that. But it is kind of a neat thing because there are people doing conversions. I see them online, and and maybe they haven't thought about it, but think, geez, I could convert that ten acre field, five eight, you know, whatever, and turn it into something special. I just viewed the the egg land as not helpful to me, so I kind of went from wide open where the guys that hunted it in years past said as soon as the crops are off, there's no deer anywhere. And now all of a sudden, you know, I've got, uh, I don't know, we saw 12 or 14 antlerless and a couple small bucks last night just milling around, and they're they're happy because we don't have pressure. And I've got every kind of food store, every kind of food this year you can imagine, and the cover's coming. So, yeah, I think in two or three years um, uh, it should be really good, but I didn't want to wait two or three years. That's why to people out there, sorghum. Sorghum, four to eight feet, regular sorghum that don't just think of that uh, hybrid sorghum as a screening. Use it for year one bedding. Jake Elinger talked about that. I think when he started, he may have done, done that because I think he had some, his, I think his property was a bunch of, a lot of field conversion. And I mean, it's 30 something yeah, years well. old. Yeah. So I kind of also modeled my thought process off of that. But if I wouldn't have done any sorghum, it would have been a little trickier because, like I said, the deer are already working the edges of it. And the cool thing is, in central Wisconsin, they don't know what it is. So I think they'll start eating it in December. But the blackbirds have had a field day. But the seed heads are still intact. And, and when Grant Woods talks about his is gone at the end of August, you know, they, they wipe his out. I'm like, no, they haven't done anything with mine. But I'm like, I thought that would be the case because they don't know it. So I, and I think that was the same with brassicas. But some neighbors have planted brassicas for enough years where they're they're pounding the brassicas so they know them. But it's going to be fun to watch, and I'll I'll share along with how when when are they going to start eating those seed heads? You know, is it going to be December, January? I have no idea. Um, I'm glad they haven't eaten them because it'll give me some more winter uh, winter food sources, and it's providing cover. What a 
nice double uh, double thing you get for it. I mean, it's good for the soil. Yeah, I mean, I I think you're hitting the nail on the head there. Plus, I use it for screening while my switchgrass matures, right? So you have yep. a the, well, this year, like you mentioned, not wanting to wait. And I had I had a doe on her hind legs reaching up to the top of the trying to get that sorghum seed head about probably two three weeks ago on camera. She's standing up like a human That's trying to get awesome. the top get that seed head. So to your point, you're you're right on there, and um, it's a great great thing to use while your switchgrass matures. Um, yeah, yeah I, I can't wait to continue to follow along. I think uh, please keep us posted, and and uh, you know Brian has our video series going where guys like you are are keeping us posted on their projects uh, throughout the habitat journeys. So that's- thank you so much, listeners, for coming and listening once again to the Habitat Podcast. We really appreciate it. If you could, please do us a favor, leave us a five-star review on iTunes or wherever you listen to this podcast. If you type out something nice, I will send you a free Habitat Podcast decal. If you haven't been to our website, HabitatPodcast.com, we have our Habitat Property Consultation Services on there under the Land Plan tab. Check out our HP Land Plans there. We also have hats, t-shirts, and decals up at HabitatPodcast.com. Of course, all of our podcast episodes. And then we have a new Habitat Podcast journal where you can learn about deer anatomy and some cool thoughts, um, you know, more of a blog post from us every now and then. We'd really love it if you went over to our Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube, found the Habitat Podcast, and please subscribe. That really helps us. And thank you very much to our sponsors. I'd like to thank Exodus Trail Cameras. The Squirrel at NutPlanter.com, Packer Max Cultipackers, Afflictor Broadheads, Killer Food Plots, Michigan Whitetail Pursuit, Realtree United Country Land Pro, Lake States Realty and Auction, and Morse Nursery. Thank you so much, guys, for tuning in once again. Get back with us soon. We're going to have another great episode for you as we become better habitat managers. A life to be proud of. It's a Winchester life. Yeah, baby. Six, eight Western. Mule there, baby. Right there. Tune in every Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. On Mondays, head offshore with Captain Scott Walker and Steve Roger for breathtaking deep sea adventures. Coming to me, coming to me, coming to me. Double. He's jumping, he's jumping, he's jumping. Oh! Oh! Don't miss Mondays with Into the Blue. Brought to you by Academy Sports and Outdoors from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern. Tell a few fish stories along the way. On Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment. 